A scripture reading this morning is taken from the book of Isaiah, and it's the whole chapter of 12, which is six verses. So settle in and listen to the richness of these words of praise. Isaiah 12, verse 1. In that day, you will say, I will praise you, Lord. Although you were angry with me, your anger has turned away, and you have comforted me. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord himself, is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. In that day you will say, give praise to the Lord, proclaim his name, and make known among the nations what he has done, and proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing to the Lord, for he has done glorious things. Let this be known to all the world. Shout aloud and sing for joy, people of Zion. For great is the Holy One of Israel among you. This time I invite Ebenezer to come up. If you've not had a chance to meet Ebenezer, please look for that opportunity. He's here almost every Sunday. And Ebenezer is a student at the seminary in Elkhart and uh, is continuing second year there, correct? And, and uh, a wonderful brother in the Lord. He's, he's served the church. He is from Ethiopia, and he's served the churches there uh, doing campus ministries and has some experience with that. Just a wonderful heart for the Lord, and we invite, invited him to share the message this morning, uh, and we just want to pray for God's blessing. Step over. Let's pray together. Lord, may your blessing and your word of truth and your word of guidance speak through Ebenezer today. May you bless him, give him your incredible calm of knowing that you will do the work as he faithfully speaks your word to us this morning. Bless him, Lord, and we thank you uh, that we can share together in this calling to serve you from so many places in this world, to know, Lord, that we are on one mission with you together. And we pray that you would just bless Ebenezer and, and uh, speak to us through him this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor Wes. Um, it's really an honor, a privilege for me to share the word of God with uh, you this morning. Um, yeah, it's been one, like a year since I started to come, since I started to call Yellow Creek a home church and it became like really a home away from home. Uh, so I'm really thankful for the Lord that uh, God gave me another home here in the US and uh, brothers and sisters here. Uh, as you remember, we are in a series of, uh, currently in a teaching series uh, about prayer. Uh, we are learning about prayer for the past months and uh, the past months and this month um, in the in the couple of in the last couple of weeks 
we saw the importance of uh, adoration and uh, confession as key components of uh, a powerful prayer. And today we will continue that um, our exploration of the other components of a powerful prayer like thanksgiving from Isaiah chapter 12, 1 to 6. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. If you have a, a little bit, a hard time to hear some of my mispronunciation, so I titled this, this part of the sermon, uh, Bearing Witness Through thanks, Thankful Worship or Thankful witness, uh, thankful Prayer. If you remember in Luke 17, Jesus heals 10 men with the skin diseases, if you, if you remember. Jesus told them to go and show themselves to the priest. And as they went, they were made clean. They were healed while they, they were on their way. Then Jesus, uh, then just one of them went back to show his gratitude. Uh, at the tradition and time at that time, people with this kind of disease stayed out of the community. It, is, it was not an easy thing to have that kind of disease and to be healed from that kind of disease. Not, it was not like an easy kind of thing. Uh, being healed from this disease was a life-changing one, and he changed their life. But they went on to live their everyday life as if nothing happened. But just one of them came back to say, to, to show his gratitude for Jesus. There is also another story, uh, a chapter in, uh, in Luke 18, one chapter later, a Pharisee and a tax collector that went to pray in the temple. The Pharisee stood up and prayed, God, I thank you. I am not like other people, like thieves, like adulterers, or even like the, the, this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. It seems that he's presenting what he do in his life. As if God doesn't know. He is trying to amaze God rather than expressing his gratitude for God. He did a boastful prayer. This boastful Pharisee reminded me of a story of the mouse who crossed the bridge over a deep river with an elephant. As the elephant and the mouse crossed the bridge, the bridge shook. When they reached the other side, the mouse said to the elephant, boy, we shook that bridge, didn't we? Sometimes we, like some people feel that, like they crossed the bridge with God because they, they can't able, they are able to do that. But they don't feel, sometimes we don't feel, I don't feel as if I'm crossing the bridge, the river, because of God. Sometimes we are like the, the tamed men and these Pharisees. Some of us, we do not notice what God is doing in our life. Big things and small things, the faithfulness he shows regularly and he, the faithfulness he showed to us, when we are in the pits of life, we don't recognize some of the things that God 
did in our life in the past and what he is doing in our life today, like day-to-day -day things. Sometimes prayer in the name of being thankful can be missed to gather glory of, for ourselves. It becomes a place to show our status and what we have compared to others. Yet, on the contrary, we can see that exuberant shout of joy that one healed man brought to Jesus. He came, kneeled, and thanks Jesus. Thankful prayer is a participation in worship that has been started too long ago to acknowledge what God is doing for us. His saving work and his faithfulness that is seen in the whole world. Through thankful prayer and worship, we, come, we become a part of the tradition, memory, and imagination of the Christian tradition, the Christian experience of the faithfulness of God. Our thankful prayer worship is a witness for others and the proclamation of the deeds of the Lord. We are people who take Isaiah 12 as a part of our prayer and worship when we sing the amazing song of gratitude. We have become a part of a great multitude that no one could number from all nations, from all kindreds, from all language and all tribes. Isaiah 12 is a song that we take to ourselves from the ancient Israelite tradition, and we make it our own. Isaiah 12 is an amazing, amazingly organized song that carries years of memory, experience, and imagination of the people of God about the faithfulness of God. It's an imagination of like their, their experience, how they experienced God through this, their travel, their life throughout the whole Old Testament. When we sing and pray it, we find ourselves a part of something much bigger than we think, much bigger than our immediate circumstance. The beauty of it is that it is sung or prayed in the context and circumstance that the people of God ex experienced, which might be similar to us, similar to our circumstance now, today, in, in, in this time of the, the world. Isaiah 12 is a thanksgiving psalm that concludes the, sec the section in the first part of the book, which is Isaiah 1 to 12. It consists of two groups of like verses. The first part, the first three verses, and the next part, the last four, uh, the last three verses, four to six. Each, each, each verse starts with in that day, with the phrase in that day. The first part focuses on trust in the Lord's salvation, in what God do to, to have a trust, to give uh, thanks for what God did in our life. And the second one, making the Lord's name known among nations. The first verse starts with, you will say, in that day. Which day is Isaiah referring here? If we read Isaiah chapter 1 to 11, we find this buildup of messianic hope, of messianic victory. In Isaiah 9 and Isaiah 11, we have the wonderful sense of the kingdom come image, the kingdom come of God, of the root of Jesus, and new creation of everything being transformed. If you remember, the wolf, the wolf will live with the lamp and the leopard 
shall lay down with the kid, and so on. And then the whole world will be brought under the saving victory of God. They will not hurt or destroy on this holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as water covers the sea. That's the big picture of Isaiah 1 to 11. Isaiah is referring on that day, he is referring the kingdom of God, the kingdom that come one day and established among us. This is the vision of Isaiah 12, 1. You will say, on that day, give thanks to the Lord. I will give thank you to you, O Lord, though you were angry with me. You, uh, your anger turned away that you might comfort me. An instruction introduced in this psalm to someone, perhaps Israel, perhaps a messenger, to be ready to praise in that day. This later formula is a characteristic in prophetic rhetoric for a promise from God that is sure but not yet in hand. The psalm is an act of confidence, hope that things in time to come will be happily resolved. The conclusion of chapter 1 to 12 is an act of optimistic and determined hope that refused to give in this devastating circumstance, this devastating present circumstance. As Isaiah earlier tells us, something went wrong in Israel that led the people of God into exile. But the Psalter here sings that God showed his goodness, generosity, his strength and comfort for his people, which suddenly left them with a realization of, oh, our God is still in charge. Our God is the victor. Even when life feels like passing through a desert, how will we cope? God will provide. The wells of salvation from which we will draw the fresh water we need. He provides that well of salvation. I bet there are moments like this in our life that makes us suddenly realize that God is in charge. After we passed through a lot of like up and downs, one day God shows up in our life and we realize he is in charge we realize as he is the one who is victor. In fact, we are here today in this, in this sanctuary to worship the Lord because we saw his salvation in our life. We worship the Lord because we saw his faithfulness in our life. From time to time, to time we have those moments that makes us say, oh, God is in charge. He is the victor. He is the one who controls life. There are moments when life goes wrong, but in the end, it helps us to realize the victory of God. And we sing the same song. Sometimes even though all sorts of things may have gone wrong, we are always reminded that God is victor. That though the wrong seems often so strong, says the old hymn, God is the ruler yet. This is my father's world. Why should my heart be sad? The Lord is king. Let the heavens ring. God reigns. Let the earth be glad. We think this Hyman 
this hymn when we pass this, when we realize God's victory after we pass this through a lot of things, we sing this hymn. This is the message of Isaiah at this point. In the story of Israel, we see many, many occasions on which something like this might well be said. Something wrong happened and they sing this song in their whole history. Think about Joseph in Egypt. After his brother sold him out and through the extraordinary saving power of God, he's waved out of prison and become number two in Egypt and become a blessing for nation, including for his own. And think of him singing this song, you saved me, so I exalt your name. Imagine the Exodus story. The people of Israel were sold out for slavery in Egypt, and the mighty hand of the Lord saved them and comforted them. And in Exodus 15, Miriam sang that exuberant praise for the faithful salvation of the Lord. You saved us. You are still the one who is in charge in our life. Then after everything went wrong, the people of God were taken out into exile, which is a foreign power taking the noble and young people for, for slavery to the land of Babylon in this case. They sang Isaiah 12 and so many other song of, songs of gratitude during exile, if you remember. All the Psalms, the Psalters sang. You are angry with us, but you are still our savior. But you are still our comforter. Even though you are angry with us, you are the one who still comforts us. You are the one who still saves us. The echoes of Luke, 15, Luke 24. Jesus, Jesus says to the two on the road to Emmaus, you were so foolish, so slow to understand what God was doing among you. Beginning with Moses and the prophet, he interpreted to them in the old scriptures the things concerning himself, Isaiah 12. Isaiah 12 shaped things concerning himself. The many moments in Israel's story when it had all gone horribly wrong, when darkness seems to descend forever, and then God did the new thing so that it might be known that salvation and comfort was God's initiative and action. In the same way, in our personal life, sometimes we will be in the highest point of life. We walk in the mountains. We are clear about what we do in our life. We can easily spot what God is doing in our life and we can count our blessing so easily. We are grateful. We easily draw near to praise. But sometimes we get to that point where we cannot feel anything. We will be in the valleys. We wake up in darkness. Life gets hard. We lose our faith, control in life. And we, can't, we, we, we don't have any guidance. We can't see how God is guiding us. We pass through sickness, and then something new happens in our life. He lifts us up. I, I am sure... Each of us experienced that hands of God in our life. We feel worthy. We'll be comforted by God. 
we see the faithfulness of God, the salvation of the Lord. Then we sing this song. God is my salvation. The Lord is my strength. And I will trust him so that I will not be afraid. As the man who was healed and shouted the joy in Luke 17, we also shout, shout out the joy of salvation to the Lord because he gets us. And it doesn't stop there. His goodness and salvation today and yesterday leave us with a, a guarantee to trust him as, we, as he will remain faithful and show up in our future life. So even though we do not feel him now, we remain thankful for him. We remain grateful for him because we know that he will show up in our life even in the future. That, that gives us the guarantee uh, as he will going to be seen in our life in the future. The second part of Isaiah, verse 4 to 6, this glorious song is quite clear that the purpose of it all is that God's name may be seen. God's name may be glorified in all the world. There is always a danger of reading the Hebrew scriptures, Old Testament, as though they are just about the people of Israel. And then the New Testament is about the gospel. We easily miss the point. But always in the Old Testament, when God acts to save his people, it is so that the whole world may see and know and come in on the, that act. The basis of Paul's ministry and mission is that God has done in Jesus what he said he would do by coming back in person to rescue his people. And now it is time because the victory over the dark power has been won. Now it is time for the Gentile nations enslaved by those dark power for long years to come and worship the God of Israel. If you remember, the twofold mission uh, started when God called Abraham from his father's house to, to the land he showed him. God promised to bless him. But when he told him, I will bless you, but he also gave him a command, or God promised him to bless him and summoned him to bless the nations. I, if you remember, I will bless you, but you be a blessing for others. He called him to be a blessing for others. This is the overarching story of the Bible. God bless his people to be a blessing for others. God is gathering people to be worshipers. Until one day, as Revelation 7-9 tells us, that big party happens. A great multitude that no one could count, no one could number from every nation, every tribe, every people group, every language, standing before the Lord, before the throne and before the Lamb and worshiping God, singing blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. The second part of Isaiah 12 reminds us, reminds us of the goal of our thankful worship. We give thankful, we give thanks to the Lord so that his deeds will be known among the nations and all, earth, all the earth. And they will be a part of our worship. It is 
It is an act of calling others to be worshipers of God. God is gathering his worshipers from all the Indies of the world, all the Indies of the earth. So our acts of thankful prayer and worship is a calling, a, a gospel for others to see the deeds of God, the faithfulness of God. And it's a call for others to worship with us, to be a part of this worship. John Piper beautifully put the connection between worship and mission. Worship is the goal and the fuel of mission. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Mission is our way of saying the joy of knowing the Lord is not a private or a tribal or a national or ethnic privilege. It is for all. And that's why we proclaim and announce the deeds of the Lord, because we have tasted the joy of salvation and God's faithfulness in our life. We tasted, we enjoyed his salvation and his faithfulness in our life every day. Because of that, we worship him and we want all the families of the earth to be included in this worship. We want them to see it, to enjoy the faithfulness of the Lord. We want them to see how God bless his people. Mission exists because worship doesn't yet. Because there are a lot of people who are not worshippers yet. Our thankful prayer, worship, is a part of our witness to call others to take their part in the worship. The call to participate in a thankful prayer is a call to mission to proclaim the deeds of our Lord. Isaiah 12 brings the first major section of Isaiah to a conclusion, like the first 11 chapters of Isaiah, what we call the, the, the first part of Isaiah, you could say that the whole story is contained in this 12 chapter. There has been confrontation, warning, and promise, and the community is invited to live within this story, facing the challenge of the present, but also living by the promise for the future. Providing the people with a song that they will be able to sing one day is another way of inviting them to live in hope. If they yield to the song, they are virtually praising God for fulfilling his promise before the fulfillment happens. It is a call for us to participate in God's work, in God's mission. Whether they are they whether they are invited to see that they have come this far by faith and can continue in hope, not because it is not because they have like the faith and uh, continue in hope, not because their faith or hope is big, but because the God they trust and hope is big. If it fits that the last phrase in Isaiah eleven twelve uh, Isaiah twelve is a declaration about Israel's holy one. I used to, sorry. <laughs> it's a good reminder that the time is. I used to think as a Christian that we are making our way to heaven. But that's a part of the story. It is not the full story. The other parts that we easily forget but make the picture full in the story is Isaiah 12, 6 which tells us God is in the midst of us. God is among us. This doesn't start in Isaiah 12. It starts with the creation. 
I would say, this is a message of the Bible from the first page to the last. When the story began, God was with us. But the fall broke our relationship with God our, between ourselves and the creation. Then God came, God came back to Noah, Abraham, to the whole Israel, and to us. Do you remember what Emmanuel meant? God is with us. The continu this continues and reaches its climax in Revelation 21-22, when the new Jerusalem comes down from heaven to earth, and God himself is there. Our God is not a distant God, but a God who is close to his people. He is close to us. The story of Israel in the church is a story of the people whose God comes to dwell among them. It, our story is our God, the people who are their God come to dwell among them. He is with us. He is in us. God's promise is clear. He is among us and will fully dwell with us when the new Jerusalem comes down. As we enjoy his salvation and comfort, we offer him out praise so that others can hear of the amazing thing he does for us and become worshipers with us. Even when life is tough and we don't feel grateful, we can remember his faithfulness yesterday and hold on to the hope that one day the Holy One will be with us for eternity. That's why we pray, thy kingdom come. God came to dwell among us because of his unwavering and unchanging love for us. His faithfulness comforts us and assures us that we can trust in him. As Paul in Philippians 4-5 said, we can rejoice in the Lord because he is always near to us. Even if we may not feel his presence, we need not be anxious because his faithfulness from yesterday is a guarantee of his faithfulness for today and for the future. Through prayer and thanksgiving, we draw near to our him. We draw near to our God and ask for his kingdom to come. Coming to the Lord in thankful prayer is a way of joining in the global worship that began with the creation and will end in the gathering described in Revelation 7-9. When we offer a thankful prayer or a thankful worship, we bear witness to others and share the wonderful deeds of our God with them. May God bless you.